Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. This conversation had the most profound effect on me, mainly because the life of this guest is something we probably see in the movies. And with the recent release of the new Bond film, I feel like I've interviewed a real life James Bond. Retired Sergeant Major Mark Spicer is a 25-year veteran of the British Army with a worldwide reputation in the sphere of sniping, reconnaissance and counter-terrorism. He was employed by the FBI to be used as the US government expert witness in the Washington DC sniper trials. Over the course of his military career, Sergeant Major Spicer served on deployments worldwide with both British and UN forces, including his work in Northern Ireland. Mark Spicer received awards from the Queen in recognition of his success during a particular counter-terrorist operation. He also authored three world-renowned books on sniping and is perhaps the world's foremost expert on the subject. Since retirement from the military, Mark has trained a number of US military and law enforcement units. He served as an advisor to the Royal Office of King Abdullah II, whereby he created, selected and trained the Royal Guard Counter-Sniper Unit. Mark Spicer is requested by name by the top echelon blue chips in both the private and public sectors. He has over three decades leading military government and corporate training, including compliance in cybersecurity and physical security. Hands-on experience in anti-terrorism and counter-terrorism, including leading some of the largest task forces in the UK, and the US. I give you Mark Spicer. Hello, hello. <laughs> Morning again. We again. So today I am privileged to be talking to a man who dedicated his career, his life to protecting others by being a part of the British Army, primarily in sniping and reconnaissance isn't it right and and to ask my first question I want to go Mark into your background Mm -hmm. a little bit if I asked Mark as a young boy who he would like to become when he grows up what would his answer be my dad Uh, my dad my dad was always my hero. My dad was a father before me, or sorry, a soldier before me. Um, and whilst I don't really have any memories of my father um, as a soldier because he left before I was old enough to really remember, it never left him. Um, you know, and my dad lived his life with a, a deep regret that he'd left the army um, before his full career. Um, so, yeah, I guess... My dad was just one of those people who could fix anything, build anything. Um, so, yeah, he would have been, he was who I wanted to be. I just wanted to be a good man. I mean, I remember speaking with 
um, a, a woman at a local club when I was 12 and she asked me where I wanted to be. Um, I said, happily married. She wasn't ready for that. <laughs> so Happily married. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a very early age, I, I didn't want the same things as other people. Um, How cool. And I certainly wasn't planning on, on joining the army. If anything, my older brother was the one that always said he would join the army. Um, really? Yeah, it kind of frightened me. I, I didn't think I was kind of tough enough to be in the army. So I, I became a, a vehicle technician for, for the Royal Mail. So basically a mechanic that fixes anything from painting the vehicle to, to the electrics. Um, but in the, in the period of my apprenticeship, um, I suddenly had the urge to join the Reserve Army. Um, I joined the Reserve Army uh, in the infantry. Loved it. Um, I actually found them a little bit, um, a bit of a boys club. So I, I went to a different unit, which was um, a little bit more specialised, and um, fell in love with the army. So I stayed with my apprenticeship until I got the qualification, um, and then I, I left and joined the regular army. Wow. And you mentioned offline that you came from a very humble beginning from, um, did you say, the council estate that you grew up in, or what was your... Mm -hmm childhood like uh, my childhood was um was good i can't really complain about my childhood um, i mean when you look back on it now i was i was kind of the only toys i had were toy soldiers or sort of action man it's sort of gi joe to, to americans um so yeah. i guess it was in my blood but yeah. um you know i come from a i come from a council estate in portsmouth um you know my mum and dad were both very hard-working people uh, and it's funny when you look back on things that um, my mum's special meals, mm -hmm. um, which actually consisted of like a, a fried egg with a little bit of mashed potato around the outside, yeah. or we had a fried egg and, and a bag of crisps um, that was like special treat meals. Now, when you look back on it, you realise that was that was when they they were broke. They, they didn't have any money. Um, and you know what? I, I do remember they weren't eating at the same time as me and my brother were. So yeah, I, I came from very hardworking, but, but, you know, very poor family. Um, right. And I don't think that's a bad thing because my dad and my mom instilled in me um, the importance of, of hard work. Um, you know, if, if you want something, go and get it. And I, yeah. I guess I just took that and ran with it. <laughs> I decided I wanted the world. You wanted the world. There you go. Mm -hmm. You started big. Still, I'm still working on it, but um, <laughs> I've seen quite a bit of it now. Yeah. What exactly in the military appealed to you straight away? Is it because I assume there's a whole variety of tactics, mm -hmm. behaviors, there's a lot to learn. What exactly was the first thing that grabbed you? Is it operating in um, fun, considering uh, who you became? really. Uh, because reconnaissance really was the first thing that kind of got me hooked because, you know, night vision when I first joined the army wasn't exactly spectacular. So mm -hmm. when you were looking for the enemy on, on exercises and in training, et cetera, and even in real life, um, after dark, it was very much a case of relying on your, your, your ears and your sense of smell. You know, your eyes weren't particularly useful to you at night. So the adrenaline dump, of creeping around in the dark, not knowing if somebody was going to open fire on you. It's pretty mm -hmm. addictive. Um, nice. and, and then, then I saw 
a lot of guys who were on a sniper card are walking past one day and you just suddenly sort of thought, that's just like a very dangerous game of hide and, hide and seek. <laughs> uh, so it, it appealed. Um, so I guess it's the it's the risk. I mean, anything that kind of made you feel like you may lose your life just makes your life feel so much better. It certainly makes you appreciate things. Wow. I mean, not something necessarily I would have chosen to appreciate my life, but. <laughs> True. Uh, it is. Sniping is a very particular um, skill set that doesn't, it, it, uh, it doesn't suit very many people. Um, even a lot of special forces um, guys won't pass a, a basic sniper course because it is a specific mindset and you're never comfortable. You're either cold and wet or hot and wet. You're never really comfortable to it, but it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it is probably the last thing on on a battlefield today where it's it's man against man. It's not a, a machine or anything. It's it's you, if you live, you're better than him. You were made a senior instructor for the British Army Sniper Division. And you I did. also did you? I did. That, yeah, I, I was posted to the school as an instructor. And you also rode the British Army Sniper Doctrine. Then, oh, yes, that wasn't me completely. That was just part of the team that wrote that. Was a part of the team. So, what did you have? What what it, what is that skill that you had in you to be a successful one of the best snipers in the world? Um, I think it's it's something that um, I've managed to move into the civilian market as well, uh, and it's the ability to to outthink people. Um, if you look at a lot of the security systems on big corporations, et cetera, you know, you, you'll get a guy come around to do a security survey for you and, you know, he'll tell you, you need this camera, this sensor and everything else. Well, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying you don't need them, but without educating your staff, they're really not that much use. Because if I know how your system functions, which is a criminal or terrorist or, you know, a burglar, I will, uh, I also know how to get around it. But if there are people there, and your staff have been trained to identify all the common traits that are visible of somebody who is about to do something wrong, mm -hmm. you, you've got a much better and cheaper security system. Um, your staff are more confident as well. They're not so scared of something. People are only scared of things they don't understand. So I spent a lot of time running sort of seminars and training classes for corporation staff. You know, mm -hmm. staff are mm -hmm. going to go abroad to avoid kidnap their own staff um, in locations in, in America and the UK to say, okay, this is what you look for. So I think it was, I just love the challenge about thinking somebody. And you've done that whilst you were part of the British Army or were you talking after you retired? Oh, no, that was after I retired. I mean, as part of the British Army, we do test securities. You're, yeah. you're, you're an exercise against somewhere to see if you can get in. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, after doing sort of 25 years in the army, I didn't see any reason to, to give up all those skills. So like everybody, you kind of jump to private security and in and out of, you know, foreign countries, et cetera. But I ended up doing um, a job where I was, I was working for the insurance company, Hiscox. How are you? Um, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It was, it was a fire company I was working for. They had the contract and my job was mm -hmm. to go to, to everybody's residence and their place of work, et cetera, before they could renew their insurance. And then I would go and do 
a threat assessment on them. So, and mm-hmm, then I'll mm-hmm. use a report and tell them how the, all the holes I've found in their security and how easy I could get in their house, et cetera, um, and how they could quickly shut it down. The surprising thing for me was I'd go in houses where there was in one room a painting worth $6 million, mm-hmm. um, and I'd just told them $12,000 um, you know, dollars worth of equipment, and they just said, too expensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I did all that for Hiscox because we're trained. I worked in a unit where we were trained to break into people's houses. So um, it, it's the best way to stop a burglar is to think like them. So one of the things I, I do is I teach people how to think like the threat they're facing. I mean, if I was to think, you know, if on a counter sniping thing, if I'm thinking like a, an English sniper mm-hmm. and I'm against, um, you know, a, a Muslim terrorist sniper, I'm not necessarily going to be able to get into his head because he was raised different to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was raised as a Christian. Um, can't remember the last time I went to a church, but I, mm-hmm. I believe in a God. I'm just not a big fan of organized religion. Um, yeah. uh, he was raised on a different doctrine to me, whether you, whether you care to admit it or not. My Christian upbringing still affects how I think. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to think, uh, you know, as a Christian against a Muslim sniper thinking in a different way, I'm not likely to get into his thought process. So you've got to you've got to learn as much as you can. And the only real weapon we have is knowledge. You know, if, if I know more than you, I'm going to win. It's as simple as that. Impressive. So in preparation for certain, and well, let's let's talk about so you were in particular case where you had to apply those skills. You mm-hmm. were seconded from the British Army and served as an expert witness for the FBI in relation to the high-profile Washington, D.C. sniper attacks. And, and that, um, for, for the benefit of the listeners, it's the D.C. sniper attacks where a series of coordinated shootings that occurred back in October 2002 and, but by men and his acclaimed stepson, I believe, and you were called on that case. I was. Um, it was totally out of the blue. Um, I got a phone call from the FBI saying that um, they, they wanted me to do that. I pointed out to them that I'd love to do that, but there was no way the British Army were going to let me. Um, okay. The, the US government got in touch with the UK government in, you know, in a short story, and I was, I was detached to the FBI until they didn't need me anymore. Um, so it was... Um, it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, it's, you know, it's a case of sitting there and looking at the evidence that was available. And the, the very first question you ask is, how would I have done it? Um, mm-hmm. You can't defend until you plan to attack. So if somebody told me to protect you, my first thought is, how can I kill you? Because I'll look at all the different ways that I could get to you past whatever security you've got right now, and then I close those gaps. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got to plan to attack before you can defend. So my first sort of thing to do was I went from crime scene to crime scene. The FBI took me to each location. They told me exactly what they had. Um, and within within the first three crime scenes, I pretty much knew uh, the method and how they've been doing it, um, purely because you look at it and say, one, how would I have done it? What are the clues? Like there was a car, there was the, the, the weapon they were using. Where did the police forensics think they were? Mm-hmm. And then you just run that plan through your head. And the FBI had it wrong at first. Um, 
in how it was being done. And basically what I, what I confirmed for them was that they were using a method called triggering. Mm-hmm. So is, a sniper team is, is, is usually two people. You, they can both function on their own, but in this particular case, it was a good example. One of them was curled up in the, in the, in the boot, in the trunk of the car, and they yep. cut a small hole in the back so they could see out. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't see anybody coming from left or right fast enough to have been able to shoot. So what triggering is, is another person who can see everything or say to me as the shooter, um, okay, your target's a woman. She's wearing a red jacket. She's coming from the left. You'll be able to see her in five, four, three, two, one. And I'm already lined up in that one. She walks in and I squeeze the trigger. Um, So the only way they could have done that, um, or sorry, the only way they could have made that work was, was to use that method. And my confirmation was in the back of the vehicle, because obviously I, I, I fired from the back of the vehicle. We took the vehicle to the range. You know, I got to get in the car and, and shoot from it. The, um, you know, I got a very limited view. Mm-hmm. So what they were doing was they were reversing the car. Like if you think when they first started shooting people, they were, they were shooting people at, uh, at petrol stations, gas stations. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at the layout of, of, of one of those stations, it's like a rifle range. It's just straight lanes. Yeah. And then you've got petrol pump, lane, petrol pump, lane. Well, they would reverse the, the vehicle up until he could just see the petrol pump on the left and he could just see the petrol pump on the right. Mm-hmm. So that was his shooting lane. Yeah. They just waited for somebody to come to one of those pumps. Now, when they went to like strip malls to shopping areas, they've got concrete stanchions, like equally spaced apart, and they just do the same. They'd reverse up until you could see concrete stanchions, and then it was target coming from the right, target from the left, three, two, one. Uh, and that was that was how they were doing it. Um, they'd hinged, they'd hinged the back seat of the car, and the FBI thought it was so that they could stick their feet out and lay straight. Yeah. Well, when I fired from the car that way just amazingly uncomfortable to the point that I really had to push my head back as far as I could get it just to get, you know, line on the, on the rifle. And it wasn't comfortable. And I said, there's no way they stayed in this position. Um, so you then use your experience as a sniper and, and all the different shooting positions I know. And, and any sniper would have known this. I mean, the, the FBI didn't have um, a, like a very experienced sniper on the team. So that's why I saw things they didn't. Um, I was like, he's, there's no way. The, the, the arch over the rear axle made it was just amazingly uncomfortable. Well, at the time, the young one who was in no relation to the older one, he just I mean, he kind of brainwashed the kid to take the, take the blame. Oh, right. Well, the kid was 17. So under American law, he couldn't get a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, what they never took into account was under the terrorism law, yes, he can. Mm-hmm. Um, but the older guy had convinced the young one to take the blame. Well, when the younger one was in jail, he'd been bragging to a prison guard about what they did and how successful he was. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah, so they um, they basically mic'd up the prison guard and, and recorded it. And then as obviously it was, it was transposed into script. And, and I, I was given that and I'd, I'd spent two nights reading through it. And um, he told us in there exactly what they were doing. He said, I could stay curled up in the car for hours. Well, there's a shooting position that the British have always taught called the laid-back position where you, you're basically screwed up in a ball and you shoot off, off the side of your leg. So I got back into the, the car, got into that position. Now the, the, the arch over the, the axle was the perfect pillow um, and I could have fallen asleep in there. 
Um, and really? I, you know, I had perfect view. My, my shooting was fine. Um, so that, that was how they were doing it. And the reason they hinged the back seat was so they could get into the trunk, the boot, without anybody seeing them climbing in from the outside, which is suspicious. Mm-hmm. So, and that was just a case of just experience, experience and, and saying, how would I do it? You know, there are only so many ways you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a process of elimination until you come down to the one that they use. This is incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big puzzle to solve and ultimately it's ultimately takes the experience, just like you said. And the guys obviously has been um, sentenced. So I think one was sentenced to death. Uh, they were both initially sentenced to death. The older one was executed. Um, the younger one, they commuted it to life sentence. Yeah. I've actually yeah. asked if I can go and visit him. Um, they really? wouldn't let me. Yeah. And they wouldn't let me speak to him during the court case. Um, cause I offered to go and speak to him and say, look, you know, let him speak to a, a sniper. He may talk more. Um, but I, I want to go and speak to him now to find out more about it because at the end of the, at the end of the actual court case, I wrote a report for the FBI that said you didn't get the right man. Um, oh. and, um, they got the people that were, were shooting you know, about that. They didn't get the person who planned it because the actual plan was, um, was extremely well done. I mean, they Are basically they targeted victims or random. Yeah, they were demanding $6 million to stop. I see. Um, so they were trying to blackmail the government. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what they did was they, they were basically murdering every race, color, creed, age group there was. So there was, there was nobody that could say, well, he's not shooting me. Good luck. Um, yeah. So they terrorized the entire region. Um, That's right, they, yeah. They hit mobility, the gas stations. When people started to take you know, public transport, they shot a kid on a bus. Um, and then they, they started to hit, like, food outlets. So they were restricting people's movement and costing the Americans millions a day. Um, it's a very, very effective method. Sniping is extremely difficult to stop. Mm-hmm. So um, it, was, it was very well done. And the guy that carried it out was amazingly sloppy. You know, the, the plan was was very good in, in, in great detail, but he never carried it out. And even the young guy complained that the older guy was always sleeping and he didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I just said, you, you didn't get the plan out. Somebody else planned this. Um, I was taken into FBI headquarters the following morning uh, where they said to me that they knew there was a third person. There was mm-hmm. a, a person of sort of Arab um, appearance that had been seen with them teaching them to shoot on the range um, mm-hmm. a year prior. Because this was going on for a year. I mean, they killed people all the way down the West Coast, across the Gulf Coast, up the East Coast. Yeah. Um, and, they, you know, they, they knew they hadn't caught the right person. So for me, and I have no, no proof of this, but for me that was just a, a, a terrorist dry run to see how much devastation snipers could cause and what the American response was to it. Because if two Arabs had been caught doing that, America would have spent millions to make sure it could never happen again. Mm-hmm. If two disaffected Americans do it, swept under a carpet because um, it damages politics. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and then they spend no money on it. So, I want to prove a concept. Get somebody else to do it. You just sit back and take notes. And um, I truly believe that's what happened. Boom. So it's not a closed case yet. 
I, I think that that particular one is, but um, and they they may know obviously a lot more than than that now, and, and I'm sure between the FBI and everybody else, they've got things um, you know in hand. But at the time, I don't believe that was just a disaffected American. Um, I think that was a disaffected American that somebody had noticed and played his ego, built him up, and pushed him out into the arena to see what would happen. So on this podcast, we also talk a lot about the mindset. Mm-hmm. And usually, of course, I talk about the home mindset and business mindset with you. This is now a much wider concept. And the wealth of your information and the knowledge that you have and how you function, it's next level of human abilities. And of course, I want to nip into that and just to um, see if my listeners can also benefit from that. So when we talk about the mindset of the sniper and mindset of the terrorist, how do you, is there anything is, it will be useful to know apart from when you are on the task and you working out the puzzle that was going through the mind of the terrorist exercising certain um, tasks? How is, is there anything else that nowadays we, we live in a modern world? There's always a threat of terrorism of one kind or another. What do you think will help for the audience, general audience that are not in the military, that are not professionally trained to know? Put that down. What's there? Put that down. That's what you need to do is put that down. And you're showing me um, the phone. Yep. Because it's just spatial awareness. The, the reason that snipers um, and terrorists, to be honest, get away with things is because nobody notices them. Um, and I spent a great deal of time teaching you know, corporate and civilian workers how to notice what is going on around them. Because in, in, the, in the British Army, it's called combat indicators. There's, there's, always, there's always a clue. There is always something happening that will tell you, you someone's either watching you or you're about to be attacked. And... If you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to see it. And the majority of people don't know what they're looking for. So when I, and at the moment I'm doing a lot of teaching to American police officers to try and stop them being ambushed and, and, and executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because we saw it in the British, British Army with the IRA. You know, a lot of police officers, a lot of soldiers were targeted in their homes in front of their wives and children and, and murdered. Uh, and it's surprising now when, when I point out to them various things they do every day, that identify them as police officers, whether they're a uniform or not, because mm-hmm. they have habits. The military and the police have fashions, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, they're they're shocked because most people always go, "I do that, I, I do do that," and you've got to stop. You know, America have got a big thing at the moment about this thin blue line. You know, they have like the flag or the thin blue line on it, saying, "You know, the police standing in the way," which is great. And that they, they have every right to be proud of that, and, and they should do. But if you've got that on your car or you've got on the flag outside, I know you're a police officer, so now I know where you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, they've just got to lower their profile. And in a lot of cases is you have to be have enough self-confidence to know what you can do without having to tell your neighbours every five minutes you're Superman. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just lower your profile. But the, the easiest... Thing in the world to get near people nowadays is because nobody is looking everybody's looking at these and the phones um, yeah and the road on, on buses wherever they are people are not looking around anymore 
which makes everybody so open. true. Uh, it's easy. I mean, it's it's made reconnaissance really easy. I mean, you know, in the old days, you'd have to find a way to take a photograph of something. Um, now it's easy. I just I just stand there and I take a selfie with what I want to look at is in background, and nobody yeah. back behind it because everyone's taking selfies. Uh, or I can actually just pretend I'm on the phone and say, yeah, I'm there, I'm there now, yeah. I, I, I don't take a picture. Okay, did you get it? There's no one on the phone, but anyone looking around me doesn't, doesn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and as long as, as long as you have a believable story, most people will believe you. As, if it's delivered in a confident manner, um, the average person is not looking for trouble, they will believe you. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a reconnaissance on somebody's house to... Uh, to check for um, their security systems and I needed to look at the front of the house without real attention. So I just went to the, the nearest um, estate agents. As soon as you walk in the door, they jump on you. Go, can I help you? Can you do this? And all you do is talk to them long enough and then say, oh, have you got a business card? Because I've got to go, but I want to give you a call. And I'll give you a business card. Um, and then I can stand outside taking notes and somebody comes out, I just go, oh, sorry, this is me. Um, I have a client who's looking at a house that I'm just taking notes. And it's believable. And all I did is I got the business card from somebody else. People absolutely believe business cards. Um, and when you go to any show where you see that glass bowl and everyone's throwing their business card in um, for a price, I'm that man who takes a handful and walks away. And then if it's Deirdre or Dorothy, I'll throw away. Um, but you keep the rest. People believe business cards. There are so many ways. It's so many ways to get into secure buildings mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if you just have the patience to watch it for a while, you pick up on their pattern of life study, and then you have a believable story. I got into a well-known um, media outlet in London that has a like a, a small department mole underneath it, um, and I got into. The, the CEO's office without any trouble whatsoever. And I got their security guide to actually give me a guided tour. This is crazy. So you, and, and you teaching at, at the moment, obviously the, um, it's a hot subject of police being targeted in the US particularly. And, but you yourself, you've got to, do something to protect yourself as well. Yeah, I, I have seven German shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> if if you can get into my house and steal something, I'll, I'll help you load it into the car because you deserve it. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, right. honest, uh, when I bought my house, I decided I, I was looking for where it was, um, approach roads to it, places where I would naturally have to slow down or stop. You just identify anywhere where you could be vulnerable. And then in those those particular areas, you just step up your observation. You know, I know the British Army was very big on, on pattern of life study. If I, uh, we had a phrase that was always drummed into us that said absence of the normal presence of the abnormal. Um, you don't know what abnormal is if you don't take the time to learn normal. So learn what happens every day around your house. Um, and then when you see something that isn't normal, it should raise your awareness a little bit. Now, nine times out of 10, it's going to turn out to be something completely innocuous. And one the time it might not be, it might be somebody trying to plan burglary your house. Mm-hmm. 
if, if you're not looking, you won't see it. But realistically, you know, people go to work, look after. So there's there's no time to really buy a house and then sit outside and you know look and oh, watch. No, I agree with that. No, no, absolutely not. All it means is uh, like in the in the time that you're there, I just, just notice things that's going on around you. You know, pay pay attention. Who's walking their dog? What dog have they got? Do they walk that dog at the same time every day? If you then see somebody else walking that dog, who is that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's almost like telling you to go back to being a child. What's this? What's that? Why does that do it? it a million questions. And you may never find the answer to most of them, but as long as you're aware, mm. you're safer. The people are so insular nowadays. Nobody talks. Everyone's got their head down. Yeah. It's very easy. Can it possibly drive you nuts <laughs> being yeah, you could, you worried? Could, you could <laughs> there's, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be tempered with common sense. Nobody can say, you know, at at that sort of a level of awareness 24-7. You just can't. Uh, And all it really is is just once you realise the very obvious signs of of threat or reconnaissance against you, you'll see them even when you're not looking for them. Mm -hmm. You'll be, oh, okay, what is that? Um, And the brain will pick up on it. The brain works super fast um, and it will just say threat. Um, One of the things I teach police officers is, is human comfort zones. We all have them. Mm-hmm. Whenever we see something new, our brain immediately says threat, non-threat. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to get near you, I need to keep you in the non-threat part of your brain. So I need to show you something that I know is your comfort zone. You're, you're not worried about it. doesn't, oh, whatever. If I show you something that puts you in your threat zone, now you're more alert and mm-hmm. you're going to be harder to come anywhere near. Um, and it's, well, we give me an example. Give me an example. What, what, what would that be? What, what can give comfort? What would you show to, to comfort the other person? What, what, what do you mean exactly here? Um, in America, obviously, and I don't know what the, the state is in the UK right now, a lot of pizza delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not have ordered a pizza. The door gets knocked late at night. Um, and most people will just open the door. But even if you're smart enough to just look out the window, you see... 14-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid holding a pizza box with a pizza uniform on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Non-threat. And you say, I didn't order pizza. And he says, but well, it's definitely this address. I've got, I've got the paperwork. And he opens the box up. You're immediately thinking he's going for the paperwork because that's what he's told you. And that's what it looks like. You're not thinking, is there a gun in that box? Mm-hmm. And he just does that over the top of the box. And the others that you didn't see in the dark now come in and now they've taken over your house. So it is showing you something that is not a threat. Right, right. And for most men, because we're stupid, if you, you make that a good-looking girl outside, uh, oh, they're opening the door, um, and then, then they're dead. And the honey trap is alive and kicking. So people are still getting suckered in by attractive women. Even, even Mexican cartels are training um, attractive females as assassins because they know they can get closer to men real quick. So basically, good-looking girls do not knock on Mark Spicer's doors. <laughs> no. Um, it won't be opened. <laughs> you like that. You, if you keep this up for a week, then I'll probably let you in. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's just when somebody's doing something wrong, that's how police know who to pull over in cars, et cetera, most of the time. Mm-hmm. There, there's body language. There's body language that shows you. And a sniper's world is, is TV, no sound. You know, we can see you through a very powerful optic. We can't hear anything. 
We can zoom right in on your facial features and watch your expressions, except we can't hear anything. So we have to learn to read you. And there are, there are certain things that give people away. I mean, from a sniper's point of view, if I'm watching a group of soldiers in the field and nobody wears rank uh, on operations because mm-hmm. of people like me, because of snipers, um, if I see somebody pointing to different places and then people are going off and doing things in those places, I've already found the commander. Right, that's him. And, and it can be something as simple as if they've just made a, like a big mug of coffee. The army doesn't make six or seven mugs of coffee when you're out on exercise. You make just one big one and it gets passed around. Whoever gets the cup first, that's my leader. That's your leader. So it's about reading people. And, and that, that applies just as much to the civilian world. It really does. Right. So coming back to how do you live with that load of information? This it's actually quite interesting. I mean, there's, <laughs> I think any soldier will tell you that once they've once they've had a career, you're, it's difficult not to be driving down the road and thinking, where would I go now if I was attacked from the left? Where would I go mm. now if I was attacked from the right? Um, that's strange. Why is he doing that? We spot, you know, people having affairs. We spot people up to no good quicker than anybody else because of body language. Yeah. Um, you go, oh, you're, you're up to no good. Yeah. Uh, and as long as it's not a threat to, to the individual, you go, okay, good luck. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's more to do with human intelligence as opposed to electronic intelligence as far as defense is concerned. Because, you know, electronically, it's very easy to defend somewhere. Yeah. I don't need to defeat your um, security systems if I can convince the person on your front door to let me in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not as difficult as people think it is. Do you find because of what you do and your skill set that it's more difficult for you to make friends? Um, no, I'm actually I've actually Are been people accused. wary of the, of your skill set, or is it the opposite? They want you to be their friend, and God forbid they ever cross you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I should ask them. Talking too much at, at, at social events, so that's that's probably not. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't, <laughs> I'm lucky. I have some. I have some good friends, um, but I also try to keep to myself a little bit, um, and I, yeah. I think that's just really who I am, rather than anything else. I've never really been a, a sort of party goer, and I'm more than happy with you know sitting here with the dogs um, or, or working. Um, you can't beat you know a c- couple of cans of beer and a good war movie. So it's pretty pretty good, uh, and I'm lucky. I get, I've got to work for some. Um, I represent a lot of different companies, in particular Profence and, and North Star Arms um, and Accuracy International, who make f- the best weapons in their class, without doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, Profence make miniguns. Um, amazing what those things can do. Um, and, you know, with, with me t- training police officers, et cetera, North Star makes sort of police rifles. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to put my reputation to something that isn't the best that's there. I mean, I've worked mm-hmm. a long time to get my reputation. So, yeah. you know, and Accuracy International in the UK make the best sniper rifles as well. So it, it's nice when people recognise that your reputation and, and your integrity is trusted. So if you're saying, okay, this is actually worth having or it's good, they believe you. So I'm very defensive of that. Um, it took me a long time to build that up and I'm, I'm not just going to say something's good because they're going to pay me money. It better be good. Um, and if I'm it bad. ceases to be good, I'm going to tell people, okay, don't buy this anymore. It's crap. 
I mean, I, I can't um, even think of anything, but I almost, I, I want to work with you, you know, and I have no idea what that could possibly be, but with your skill set and knowledge, this is something absolutely incredible. And as you said, reputation and that credibility and a wealth of experience, you can't take it away. And I understand you, you started Craft International together with Chris Kyle. I did, yes. Uh, Chris, Chris, me and Chris first met when I was working at McMillan and, and Chris and some of the other team commanders came to see if I was worth um, attending my training. Um, so we ended Chris, up coming... Chris Kyle, just for those who, um, who who may not know him, is the basically the, the star um, of the American Sniper movie, isn't it, that Bradley um, Cooper was was acting at as a as a leader as Chris um, Kyle and that movie um, was released after Chris's unfortunate passing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, we, we started the company. Um, Chris was originally going to come and work with me at McMillan um, for various reasons. I left McMillan and um, we decided to start a company on our own. Uh, Chris Chris found the backers in in Dallas and Craft was formed. Um, you know, we we worked with that. It, it built it up, and then I, I decided to sort of break away and start my own company, Osprey. Um, and obviously, Chris stayed there. Still friends. I mean, I spoke to Chris two weeks before, sadly, he was murdered. Um, and the sad thing for me was I, I told him multiple times, "You need to lower your profile." You know, really? Yeah. You either the terrorists are going to come after you as revenge, or some crazy guys want to want to kill Chris Carl. Sadly, it was a second. Um, yeah. But Chris was. I've seen a lot of people run Chris down since he passed. Uh, Chris was a phenomenally decent man. Um, he was mm-hmm. a, a good friend to me. He was there for me uh, at a rough time in my life. Um, and he certainly didn't deserve that. But, um, you know, I've seen people say that, you know, he was he was a liar and he was he was this and he was that. No, Chris Chris wasn't a liar. And, and Chris was an extremely big-hearted man, a loss to the world. Well, I, and in a sense that lying, if you try to keep your profile low without not telling too much information, you know, potentially it can be perceived as lie or something like that. But ultimately, the less you know, the stronger you sleep, isn't it? It is, and there are certain things that, um, you know, the mistakes Chris made was sometimes some stories don't need to be told. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's better just let that level of mystique play out, let people think whatever they want to think. Um, the frustrating thing, you know, is if you, if, you don't, if you don't sort of raise your profile, then, you, you know, you can't pass on all the experience maybe you have. So it's, it's a double-edged weapon. You know, you do put yourself at risk by raising your profile, but at the same time, I've risked my life all my life. Why stop now? Um, and I've got so much information I want to give back to those that are kind of still holding the line, you know, the young men and women who are still fighting. Um, because a lot of the stuff we know isn't in books. Um, it's just passed on and passed on. Um, and the, the sad thing as well is everything that happened to us in the UK with the IRA is now happening to America with domestic terrorism. So That's right. all the stuff that I spent my life doing is now extremely relevant. And mm-hmm. more so for corporate as well as like the police, et cetera, because if I want to make a political change, I've got to force voters to vote a certain way. Weakest part of a democracy is is us, the people. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I can, 
if I can frighten you or I can make your life miserable by blowing you up in chopping molds, blowing up gas stations so I interfere with your day, you vote the way I want and I get political change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I'm seeing that now. I've been telling police officers over here for the last 10 years, okay, it's coming, I can see it. Uh, it's not because I'm Yoda or anything. It's just I've lived this life before and I'm seeing all the signs. It's very difficult to get people to listen when it hasn't happened. I mean, I predicted the Boston bombing a week before it happened, but not in Boston. I just said this is going to happen in America fairly soon. Um, and as it turned out a week later, the bomb went off in Boston. What's your prediction now? It's going to get worse. A lot of American police officers are going to get executed. Um, sadly, politicians have almost made it open season on the police. How do you see Europe and Britain doing in this? Um, I think I'm hopeful that the UK um, breaking away from Europe is 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 kind of the UK rebooting itself. Um, the UK has always had a a position on doing the right thing and and you know kind of protecting others. Our imperialistic history isn't the best in the world when you compare it to today. But I think in general, the UK are good people. Um, I think most Europeans, I mean, are good people. I think the, the problem is the media. You know, if you, yes. if you watch the media, when the media went 24 hours a day, there's not enough happens to, to keep the news for 24 hours a day. So instead of telling the news, they started creating it. Um, and the problem is the majority of people will believe what's put in front of them. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's the, the media is the biggest brainwashing tool and it's always been used like that and it will be used because this mm-hmm. is the way to control the mindsets. Every dictator in history has taken over the media first. Um, and if you look at American media in particular, it's a well-known fact that every major department or, or outlet is influenced by the CIA. Um, and they're all owned by a group of about five people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a great tool. I mean, if you can get into people's houses every night and keep telling them the same thing, eventually at least half of them are going to believe it. Uh, and you want to stop all the troubles in the world? Turn the news off. Yeah. <laughs> Just go day to day for a while and see that actually the world's a really nice place. People are generally really good. And you'd think in England that there's this massive race divide in the US at the moment. There really isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. there is, there's great attention now than there has been a long time without doubt. You know, Martin Luther King must be rolling in his grave, but um, it's nowhere near what the media's painted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I've certainly not seen it in this entire time. I know it happens in certain cities, but mm-hmm. that's because it's meant to happen there. There's a lot of orchestration for politics going on. Right. And unfortunately, as you said, it's going to go worse. Yeah, I'm probably going to get sort of shot next week now. So um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Mark, don't even joke about it. <laughs> I'd rather burn than rust. Gosh. <laughs> then this, this conversation makes my palms go sweaty. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously I spoke to Andrew before, um, you know, on, on LinkedIn, et cetera, uh, and just explaining how much of an overlap there is from the military to banking, corporate world. And that, um, that's right. They, they, all it takes is just sitting down and talking and, and, you know, just, I walked around, um, 
the Cleveland Clinic fairly recently with, with Michael and, and the, the former FBI guy's head of security. And I could have got in, I could have got into the VIP area with ease. Um, mm. You're like, I could get into this place so easy. Um, but wow. you know, they, they think they're, they think they're slammed tight. And you're like, oh, you're not. Okay. And it's so- because they just don't think like me. Well, that's that's the thing. I don't think many people think like you because there's only one of Mark Spice and um, the whole wealth of knowledge that you've got. And people don't spend time, you're right, these days observing and even watching the people that they talk to. They most of the time think of what they will say next or reply or put in their thinking or their their thoughts in. It's just all became quite distorted in that sense but you're absolutely right in um, bringing up the corporate world and military because the tactics and the thinking that goes the depth of analysis that goes in the military mindset it's nowhere close to what happens in the corporate world it's a completely different different angle let's say and mm-hmm. this is how the when when you bring someone like you um, to the corporate world. What main areas you tackle and you think that are weak points of a lot of uh, major corporates right now in Europe, um, in the US, in the world? Lack of awareness. It's, just, it's as simple as that. <clears throat> there is an overall lack of awareness. Uh, and it isn't anybody's fault. Senior management that. or are you talking about just... All the um, way down. All the way down, so, okay. Um, the guy opens the door um, to the CEO. There is a lack of awareness of, of what is going on. Um, and there's a lack of understanding about of human nature. And if you understand that, and if you understand what the key indicators are of when somebody's doing something wrong, it suddenly becomes glaringly obvious. Um, and, you know, everyone thinks they know, but it's not till I sit them down and say, oh, I, I could get in here, here, and here. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, you should have been able to, or how did you do that? And go, well, it's quite simple. I told this guy this, he believed me because I was believable and he let me in. Um, all I've got to do is, is, is get in. I mean, if I'm, if I'm on a, like an industrial espionage, then I've just got to get to a place where I can steal a hard drive or I can plug something in to one of your systems. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking to for hostages, all I've got to do is get in the door. Um, you know, everyone thinks that, a scanner system, you know, and a metal detectors stop everything. You can print 3D weapons nowadays. It doesn't show up on anything. Really? You know, the Israelis for years have produced carbon fiber knives. It don't show up on anything. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, soldiers are, are, are trying to kill you with whatever's at arm's length. You know, a, a rolled up newspaper can cause you an awful lot of damage if you know how to use it. Um, and terrorists are not stupid. You know, they're, they're really not stupid. And criminals nowadays are very, um, very IT aware because they grow up with it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So they're just not stupid. Uh, they are deceitful and greedy, but sadly they're, they're not stupid. It would be easy if they were. It would be so yeah. much easier if they were all stupid. They're not. And the IRA are, are probably still, in my opinion, um, the best terrorist organization available and they're definitely the best, the best improvised bomb makers in the world. You've only got to look at the fact that most Arab terrorist bombs are IRA designs, um, that, uh, you realize there is a, 
there is an export market, even in terrorism. That's crazy. So you're talking here about the actual physical security of the building when it comes mm -hmm. to corporates. There's also compliance and cybersecurity. Is this something um, you said you recommend looking at as well? And I know you, you work closely with Michael Giuliano, who is tech impresario and um, very much a specialist. He, he was on my podcast a couple of episodes ago, um, as you may know. Um, and and he, he, he's, he's also, um, and I know you two are working together in bringing those, yeah. those knowledge bases together. So in terms of cybersecurity, where's the threat? Where's the weakness as well? And how to tackle that? Um, I think it, it comes down to the fact that at the moment, a lot of people don't understand um, the cyber threat and, and how easy it is for someone who knows what they're doing to hack into systems. You know, e even the military, I mean, China has hacked into so many things and stole so many sort of weapon designs, et cetera, over the last 20 odd years that you know, we really should be aware of it. Um, Are you allowed to say that? Uh, you've only got to look at some of the jets that are exactly the same looking as American jets on the outside. Um, the only good thing is speaking to, I live mainly out of here. I live near a fighter base. Um, and a lot of my neighbors are fighter pilots. Um, mm -hmm. the only good thing about it is I said, yeah, the, the Chinese got the outside design by hacking, but they, they didn't get what was inside it. So it really doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, I don't think there's any, any doubt China's, been stole their way back to equality fairly quickly and all's fair in love and war. Um, but I think a lot of corporate areas don't necessarily realize where they are on the food chain to disrupt in a country. Your, your national infrastructure or your critical national infrastructure is a thing that if it is disrupted or, or damaged, you'll see, you know, collapse of society fairly quick. You'll see rioting and everything else. Um, so, you know, if I've got the ability to electronically shut down the American power grid, mm -hmm. I've caused an awful lot of damage. Um, so I don't think some of the, and that one in particular, I'm sure they're well aware of what could be done, but if I'm a company, small company, and I'm making small parts for a plane, mm -hmm. um, I don't necessarily realize that that tiny part means that plane can't fly. And if I can disrupt the supply of that, that plane can't take off. So it is understanding the whole uh, the whole chain of events and where you fit into it. Um, one of the last things I did before I left the British Army is I went down to my hometown of Portsmouth and the Navy let me wander around a destroyer because I wanted to look at um, how a sniper could affect a warship. Mm -hmm. And they laughed at me. Um, and I got the normal sort of sailor humour of you do realise we're out in the middle of the ocean and you've got to be a really good swimmer. So, yeah, but you've got to get out of harbour. You know, you, you've got to get out of the harbour first. And you all stand up along the side, waving to your wife, et cetera, as targets before you go out. The world's media are filming it. Now, for a terrorist attack to be a success, it needs one thing, the media, because then it goes out all over the world. If nobody sees it happen, it's forgotten about like that. So the media has to be there. So, so let's just take this as a scenario. You're going out, band's playing, wife's waving, and then I drop six of you in quick succession in, on, on national live TV. Now, I'm not affected that warship, but I've just got a massive terrorist success. 
Um, and that horror goes everywhere. Uh, now, the other thing is, what if I take a 50 cal sniper rifle and I put 10 rounds just below the water line down the, end, down the, the entire ship? Now, I'm not going to sink the ship, but it can't go out and stay out. It's got to go out, turn around and come back in and find those holes and fill them in. So mm -hmm. I've disrupted this program. And, and warships are, are planned for deployments years ahead. Mm -hmm. So I've just ruined that entire thing. Um, and then you, you say to them, your missiles, your anti-aircraft missiles on the front are controlled by those radars. Mm -hmm. Without those radars, that's useless. So if I shoot those two radars with 50 cal rounds and destroy them or damage them, your anti-aircraft missiles are no longer functional. Now my terrorist colleague who has a small Cessna full of explosives flies it straight into your ship. Um, in harbour, in full view of the world's media, the Royal Navy loses a ship or is attacked in England. It's a massive terror success. And people don't think that way. You know, people don't look at how it can be achieved. I, I hope we've, we've not just given an idea, you know. <laughs> it's, you've got to get people to think, if you're going to beat terrorists, if you're going to beat criminals, um, you've got to get people to think like them. Uh, and that's, that's not right. so you've just got to sit people down and educate them and say, okay, if you see this, this or this, that's probably what's happening. Mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. see this, this or this, this is probably what you can expect. Um, and everyone's looking for a soft target, even terrorists. So if I see a company that I'm thinking about trying to, to put a bomb against or, or attack, and I see that all their staff appear to be very security aware, I'm going to go and find someone where they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably one of the biggest defensive mechanisms is, is the attitude of your staff towards security. Right. Uh, you know, even Blackadder said security is not a dirty word. Right? Oh. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've, got to, yeah. you've got to take that. And, you know, and a sense of humor is a part of it as well. You've got, yeah. you've got to yeah. learn to say, oh, we got that wrong. Um, but put it right. It's a mistake the first time. It's a habit the second time. Uh, awareness, and, you know, people, awareness and security. Yeah, people, people are like, oh, I don't know, what, I don't know if I want to pay for that. You're like, okay, it's not in a book. Uh, you're not going to find this in a book anywhere. That's right. Uh, the thing is, yeah, I think the sad thing is, you get guys that have been in the military for like a year, two years, and and then they'll come out and start up a company, and they really, <clears throat> they really don't know enough to be to be doing that. Um, so it just makes the rest of us disbelievable. That's right. This is incredible. And we, we, we talked briefly about the American sniper in the context of um, my questions about Chris Kyle. So the question that um, completely inspired by the movie, do you think you might have seen or done things that you wish you hadn't in your career? Um, I think there's kind of a lot of things, you know, you wish you hadn't seen. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think I would because it educated me on, on just how savage mankind can be. Um, we certainly don't earn the title kind in anything to do with us. I don't think we're mankind at all. Um, I think the majority of people are good and I think the majority of people want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also still very tribal and, you know, we tend to just, if anything that frightens us, we want to destroy. Um, so, no, no, I mean, 
you know, seeing kids go through pain is something they don't necessarily want to see, um, especially when they haven't done anything wrong. And the, that's one thing about the IRA that was sickening was was kneecapping. I mean, if if they want, if you did something that they didn't agree with, then somebody would come around and you would get what they call a punishment shooting. So they shoot you through the kneecaps. Well, if you ever hurt your kneecap, I would suggest you go to Belfast. They're really good at repairing knees in Belfast. Um, but the problem was it, it because they became so good at repairing injuries like that, um, the RA switched to power drills um, and they would power drill through people's kneecaps. And we, there was certainly one case for a young 15, 16-year-old girl who'd been seen talking to a soldier um, while he was patrolling down the streets. There's not a girl in the world who doesn't float with many uniform or many uniform don't float with a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a punishment, she was power drilled through both kneecaps that night uh, in front of the street as a warning. So it is, it, it's, it's the anger that comes from, you just want to get the people that did that. Mm-hmm. And even if you know who did it, unless you can prove it, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it, we could have, the British Army, and obviously when I say we, I mean entire British forces, they could have solved the Northern Ireland problem overnight. You know, really? they knew who everybody was. But if we do that, we're no better than them. You know, we've got to stick to our own laws. And sadly, there's a lot of times when the police, etc., will know who the criminal is. They can't do anything about it because they can't prove it. And there are a lot of attorneys out there and lawyers out there who all they care about is money because they'll defend anyone. Mm. Um, personally, if I knew if, if I knew my client was a rapist and he did rape that girl that is in absolute pieces out in the corridor, yeah, there's no way I could defend him. Yeah, be like you need to get another you need to get another lawyer, but that's not me. You know, a lot of mine. I think if we wanted to make the world a better place, if we could just put all media and all attorneys into an intern camp for a year, I think we'd be better off. Well, um, that would be that would be brilliant. Yeah, I mean, everything is now is whatever you've done in life, have you sued them yet? You know, you Particularly no in the win. US. Yeah, no win, no, no pay, you know, and everybody's suing everybody for everything. Right. Um, so law and order is just, it's crumbling away. Are, are you, you planning got, to? Are, are you planning to move back to Britain at any point, or the US is your? Um, depends on this interview. Um, it depends <laughs> on how certain people take this interview. Um, uh, no, 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 it's not, not life threatening, is it? <laughs> no, no, but they might not like my my opinions on certain things. Um, it's 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 not planned for me to move back, but I never say never. I mean, I miss home. I miss Portsmouth. You know, my entire family there, apart from my daughter who's, who's out here. Um, but I, I love America. I mean, the reason I moved to America is it really was the last bastion of freedom. Um, and I've sat here for the last 10 years watching that get chipped away by politicians looking to gain power. And the only thing that frightens me about politicians is they'll start something they think they can control and then they end up losing control of it um, and making everything worse. Mm. Uh, and it, there has to be term limits. 
you know, if you haven't done something good for the country within five to six years, maybe you need another job. Um, <laughs> but if you if you have career politicians, and I'm sure most people go into politics with um, with a very good heart and a very clear idea of what they want to achieve. But I think once they get in and they realise they can't fight the system, you have two, two, two choices, become a millionaire like everybody else or leave. Interesting. Most people choose millionaire. Interesting. So it's, it's an open thought process now. And you mentioned your daughter. I imagine you to be a very protective dad. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, a lot of people imagine that to me, but I didn't need to be. Um, well, she, she used to be a police officer in, in, um, in London um, before she moved over here. She can look after herself. Right. Um, and I tend not to get involved in her life for that particular reason unless she asks me to. She, she, she can look after herself. Okay. So I've got some blitz questions. Top book recommendation that changed your mindset? Uh, that's pretty easy for me. Um, there's, there's a book by a guy called um, Neil Walsh, and the book is called Conversations with the God. Um, right. I uh, I actually saw the DVD one night in Blockbuster. Show my age there, um, <laughs> and it was a it was a title. It was Conversations with God. I would never have picked up something kind of compelled me to pick it up and I watched it, and it, it made a difference um, to the point that I went and got the book and read the book. Now, for me, I've always found the Bible difficult to understand in so much as there's a lot of parables, there's a lot of examples. Um, and when I read Conversations with God, because in essence, Neil Walsh says basically God woke him up one night and ch- chatted to him for five years, and he wrote it down, and that's the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that the church said it was blasphemous meant I wanted to read it, because um, if they're arguing with it, I want to read. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, no, it, changed, it completely changed my my mindset um oh. it confirmed for me that i my belief in a superior being or you know a creator so to speak um was reinforced mm-hmm. um it also reinforced my belief that not every organized religion is as honest as they pretend to be mm-hmm. um and as a sniper i've read up on everybody's religion purely so that i can outthink you mm-hmm. um so i already knew that there's only one god which is calling something different and it's yeah. a little bit of like football we, we both play the same game, but if you don't agree with me, I'm going to beat you up. Um, and, and in religion, if you look at most wars, religion's in there somewhere. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was uh, – and it was after after my um, my second wife died, it was, it was on, I sat and read that book, um, and hugely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. It makes me want to read it now. Now it's on my list then. <laughs> It's uh, it's a book you've got to read a couple of times because there's a couple of things in there that you go, hmm? like the point you'll point out. There's there's no hell, devil doesn't exist. It's invented by the church, and you go, right. um, and the, the the guy Neil says to him, so you're telling me Hitler's in heaven, mm-hmm. um, and he was like, well, he's not. He's gone back. He's living another life now because it, it right. points out that this is a school. We, we choose what we want to learn, and we come in, we learn, and we go back, and we come again. Um, and he said. So he didn't get punished. He goes, no, nobody gets punished. He goes, it's, you get sit down and if you like defragged and debriefed and you go, listen, this, this, and this, you did it wrong. You know, you've got to go back and learn them lessons again. Um, and in the book, God says, but you've got to remember one thing. When he did what he did, he truly believed 
he was doing good, mm-hmm. um, even though he was doing evil. Um, and it, it takes some getting your head around the fact that um, it, this is a school. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've had drilled into us, like heaven and hell, purgatory and everything else, uh, as Brooks says, figment of man's imagination and men trying to control other men. Well, I, uh, it's just like everyone else, but particularly with what you do. For some, you are a hero. For some, you may not be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen, I've seen men of God hide terrorists. I've seen men of God mass children. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that gives them a, a carte blanche pass on anything. Yeah. When you see 22 veterans a day committing suicide because they can't get out of a dark place, it's got to be hell for them. Because um, so, if you get to the stage where you think ending your life is, is probably the only option you have, it's a pretty sad place to be. Um, most What helped you? Um, that book, that book. Ones, the, the, the book helped me a lot because, you know, I, I went through all sorts of stages um, when my wife died of, of various anger and, and depression and wanting to die and, and all the rest of it. But the two things that got me through was, was re- reading that book um, and my dogs. My dogs seemed to always know when I was at my lowest point and they would just like climb up in my lap when they get okay. off. You know, the German Shepherds are not exactly small. And you've got seven of them, is that right? I've got seven now. I had, I had two at the time. They're all mm-hmm. busy with napping right now, um, <laughs> thankfully. Um, I had two at the time, and as I say, every time, you know, I, I considered the end of my life, they, they would turn up from nowhere uh, and just land in my lap. Um, and, and I found that when you get on, to, and it's kind of like a spiral, you get onto this kind of dark spiral where you, you feel yourself going down, where you're almost going through a mental checklist of, you know, it doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. And, and they would break that by just distracting me and making make me break that thought. Yeah. Um, you then, it then allows hope, reason to, to jump into your thought process just for a split second. And that, that was always long enough. And then my attitude of just never quit would kick in. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to beat me. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the only times that it was going to beat me, my dogs knew. Um, so they stepped up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have a, anyone that knows me know, don't ever go anywhere near my dogs or there's going to be a war. <laughs> wow. They, they defended me. I would defend them with my life if I have to. Well, they are godsend angels, clearly, to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, either, I'm either his favourite or he's got a sense of humour and I can take. So oh, gosh. I always joke at people and say, God may love you, but I'm clearly his favourite. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll see. Next crazy question. Household tasks you'd like to outsource. Who's looking after your household? Your household tasks. Oh, uh, me. You've got cleaner. Do you allow people to clean your house, to cook for you? Um, I love cooking. And yeah. I'm not a big fan of cleaning, but I, I clean the house. Um, I've I, had suspect, a I suspect the cleaner would have to clear a, a lot of security checks before she enters the house. Um, well, you just got to love dogs because the dog <laughs> I found that if a dog doesn't like you, there's a reason for it. 
Ah. Um, so I, I tend to judge my dog's ability to trust someone. So, and they're all super nice. I mean, if you try and come in the house when I'm not here, I'll, I wouldn't give you much of a hope. Um, but <laughs> if you walk in and I'm here and you, I clearly know you, they're just going to pester you for attention. Um, so, you know, I had a cleaner before and, you know, she knew, got to know the dogs and everybody and, and everything was fine. No problem at all. But at the moment, uh, I don't, I don't have one. So, um, yeah, it's just me and your dogs and an awful lot of cleaning up dog hair. <laughs> your favorite meal of the day and why? Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. Yeah, why? Um, habit, I think. Uh, the, the British Army has, it, it's a, a rule in the British Army, you have to attend breakfast. Um, it's mm -hmm. known as a Queen's Parade. Um, right. And the, the logic behind it is you're going to need that food to get through the day. Mm -hmm. So you basically, you fill up on, on, on energy at the beginning of the day so you can keep going because you don't know when you're going to get fed again. Um, but I'd be a liar if I didn't say I'm not a huge sucker for a full English breakfast. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, you can't beat it. I mean, you can't get proper British bacon over here. They've got this like crispy stuff, which is just not the same. No. Um, so when I come home, you know, a, a good bacon sandwich um, that my mum makes or you can't buy a good bacon sandwiches, usually high on the list. That would do breakfast. I, I can relate to that. Top choice for a famous house guest, and it can be current or historic figure. Mm. You know, with it being Trafalgar Day, one of my heroes is... is Uh, Lord Nelson. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, maybe because every school trip I ever went on was to his warship HMS Victory in Portsmouth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, a, just a man who would never accept defeat. He, he worked outside the box. You know, he changed all the rules and he changed naval warfare. Um, so mm -hmm. I'd be interested. That means the man's a thinker. That means he must have sat down and studied what the French did, studied what the Spanish did, then studied what the Royal Navy did and said, okay, this is, this is why we're not winning. Um, so as a strategist, yeah, I think Lord Nelson would be someone I'd like to talk to. This is a similarity with um, Max Spicer that I see in that strategic thinking and complexity. Yeah, well, and that's the people that interest me. Is, um, oh, the dog's not, awake. Yeah, well, that's that's the dad. He, that was him shaking his head, as you probably heard. Um, thinking and knowledge is power. It, it, you know, that's the only weapon we really need is knowledge. Like when I was speaking with the Royal Navy, so I don't need to know, and the sniper doesn't need to know how to make a missile system. He just needs to know how the missile system works and what parts it won't work if I damage. Um, so it's it's studying those, and in, I think it was in my second book. I showed all the different types of military equipment and how just a one man and his rifle can cause an awful lot of damage. That's right. Uh, the DC snipers are the perfect example of, of how two people with a rifle could devastate a huge metropolitan area and how difficult it was to stop them. Um, a team of six to eight snipers could, could bring a country to its knees um, economically fairly quick. There's I've gave you FBI that plan, but obviously I'm not going to give that plan today. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I could, I told him I could bring America to its knees with eight people in a month. 
yeah, let's let's not give that plan out. As um, let let's hope that people like yourself, the ones that world deem to be majority of the world, shall we say, deem to be good people, um, maybe in a way won't let that happen, or be in the right place in the right time and educating the right people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, for that not to take place. I just hope that um, people start listening to. You know, there are a lot of people like me. It's not just not just me. There's a lot of very experienced people out there. Um, there's not so many thinkers, and, and I just hope that people realize that it is. Doesn't matter how technical the world becomes. It doesn't matter what technology comes in. If if somebody can outthink it, it's useless. Um, and if all of your staff, if all of your your men and women are spatially aware. We're a really difficult target. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go somewhere where it's easy. Everybody takes the easy route. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's nature thing. Explosives take the easy route. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's we, we tend to keep reinventing the wheel when there's really no need to. Um, if you just study technology that comes in, technology makes everything great. But if it can be broken, you've still got to be able to do your job. So, you know, for a lot of the younger snipers, they're used to those range finders, you know, weather meters and all their other good stuff. Mm-hmm. Fantastic aids to, to the job. But can you still do it without them? Because if it runs off a battery or if it runs off a satellite, it can be broken, it can be interrupted. And then you've got to still be able to do your job without it. Um, and I think that's a, a gap. Certainly, uh, I've experienced France in the Middle East. You experience soldiers that without certain bits of technology, just couldn't even understand how you expected them to do their job. Because it's your job. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you should mm-hmm. do it. People are technology dependent. And it's great. I mean, it gives you a huge advantage. But, you know, if we if we look at near-peer nations like China and, and Russia, mm-hmm. um, that changes everything. You know, uh, you know America in particular has, has been lucky in the last 10 years where they've had a huge technology technology advantage over everybody mm-hmm. they were combating well it's not going to be the same against china or, or russia if it ever kicks off so you know the man of the bolt action rifle suddenly becomes dangerous again or the thinker Ooh. i'm still buying the president i mean they allowed obama to be president and he wasn't really american was he so how should be allowed to be mm. Well, the, the the politics. I'm 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 scared to even ask you about the politics that will turn the uh, yeah the subject that will stay away from for yeah, the time being for the purpose of this both. <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to be any more of a target than you already are potentially. Yeah, I, um, it, politics is is just one of those professions that I'm not I'm not sure it's anybody can change it. That's right. That's right. Your dream house and location. Where would that um, be? I'm pretty happy where I am. Um, the thing I love about Phoenix is, yeah, you're shorts and flip flops all year all year long. You know, you may have to wear a long sleeve shirt in winter. May. Yeah. Um, the downside to it is dust. You can dust thirty times, you know, a week, and it's still dusty. Um, but I'm in a desert, so um, I guess. Where I would want to run to, 
Um, and you saying that you actually mean it literally yeah. <laughs> um, would be somewhere like the Maldives where I could just, I'd have a house on stilts um, where I could just read um, and, and just enjoy the sea. Now, good. if I could have floating targets and I could actually shoot during the day as well, that would be perfect. <laughs> I knew there's something to come from it. I was thinking. Well, I do like, I do really enjoy shooting. So there's um, there's a certain, I haven't met anybody that I've trained to shoot, even people that say, oh, I hate guns, um, who once they understand it's, it's just a tool, the same as a car is. And as long as you treat it with respect, it's not going to do any damage. Um, but I, I've not seen anybody that doesn't see their own confidence grow when they start hitting targets. It's a powerful feeling. Um, and it's a satisfying feeling. They go, I can do this. It's not that difficult. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm shooting. So I guess if, it would have to be somewhere where I could sit out on the deck and you mm. floating targets every now and again. And it's, it, and it's tempting. You know, you, you almost, when you say, people these days talk a lot about the confidence and building it within you and growing, etc. You know, you've just put out there one of the tools to do that. But I'm not too sure that, you know, given that gun into the, you know, it, it's now becoming like, which hands does the gun come into? And mm -hmm. at this at this stage, that's why like my internal instinct will be like, you know, stay away from the guns. And I mean I, I live in the it's UK. Just, it can't hurt you. I mean, it, it, it can't hurt you. Only the person that picks it up can hurt you. Mm. Well, that's the thing, yeah. And the, the thing is, I'd rather have a gun and not need it than need a gun and not have it. You know, so it's... It, the problem is everybody is offended by everything nowadays. Um, and, and unfortunately, easily offended people are also easily manipulated people. So, you know, if, I, if I'm running my vote campaign on anti-gun, I'm, I'm, I'm going to point out everything bad a gun does. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, there are no crimes committed in America by legal gun owners. They're all committed mm -hmm. by criminals. You know, what a surprise. So it would be like saying, OK, I'm going to take all cars off of everybody to stop drunk driving. Um, mm -hmm. You wouldn't do it. So why are you taking guns off people who won't hurt anybody? And yet the criminals are still going to get guns. You're just disarming and making more victims. So, I mean, I do believe American gun laws need to be tightened up, um, yeah. without a doubt. But the, the legal right to, to bear arms, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Okay. You know, because it's the same in the UK. How many people are getting stabbed in the UK? We ban knives. You know, we, we banned handguns in the UK, et cetera, and didn't stop gun crime because criminals will always find a way to get a gun. Mm. So that's just my take on it. Well, that uh, we're talking about, you know, also uh, mental stability and um, mm. someone with fiery character using the gun inappropriately. You know, it just gives that option of um, a horrible outcome where it doesn't have to be. So I guess, it, it, you know, unfortunately, guns have very, um, yeah, one power to kill. And um, there are things that people do in rage and regret afterwards. So mm -hmm. that just gives the tool that you wouldn't want to be 
potentially by the side of the person who lost his mind temporarily, but deemed as a good character on everyday life, you see? I absolutely agree. 100% agree. Um, mm-hmm. But the FBI statistics will tell you more people are killed in America every year by knives and hammers than by guns. Really? Um, so, you know, think about medieval times in their guns. Um, we still manage to kill each other really eff- effectively uh, with knives, swords, axes. Mankind has a, a killer instinct in him. Mm. You know, and that's stronger in some than in others. Um, and it's like, I look at kids nowadays that are kind of wrapped in bubble wrap by parents too worried about them doing this. They just get thrown out the house and I didn't come home until the street lamps came on. Um, you know, and my mum didn't care if I was falling out of a tree because she knew I wasn't stupid. She knew I knew it falling out of a tree would hurt. Um, and I think we've we've got to that stage where we just mollycoddle everything. You know, and it, you know, if, if I'm going to get hurt, I'm sorry, I'm a great believer in God's will. Maybe it's a lesson for me. Um, so what's what's your parental advice? This is this is now cool, you know, getting into parental advice from professional sniper. <laughs> Go. If, if it appears to be stupid, it is. So uh, better like Darwinian style. <laughs> you just say, look, you know, you try. I think the best thing you can teach children is common sense. Um, mm-hmm. Teach them, teach them about the, the world, and sadly, you know, common sense is not common. Um, and just say to them, look, you climb a tree, the judge can fall down out of it and, you know, you break your leg, break your arm, kill yourself. And you have to understand, risk and reward, the whole world is about risk and reward. But I think when we stopped educating our children and we started to blame teachers for it, um, we, we caused a problem. And I'm, I'm a great believer that we started to go downhill with this um, everybody gets a prize routine. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not the world. There are winners and there are losers in life. And, and mm-hmm. if you leave school thinking you're always going to get a prize, you're in for a rude awakening when you get into the real world. <laughs> um, you know, we should be educating our kids that, that there are winners and losers. And you know, if you if you don't give it your all, you're probably not going to be the winner. Um, or maybe it's just the wrong path for you. Think about another path. Um, it's like in America, they have a problem with they've brainwash everybody that you must go to college. If you don't go to college, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't even get an application for a job if you don't have a degree in America in a lot of places. All a degree does is it proves I can retain information for long enough to pass a test. Um, mm-hmm. After that, you know, if I've got a degree in, you know, Renaissance art, what's that do for me? Unless I'm going to work in a museum. But if I go to be a police officer and somebody goes to be a police officer who's got a degree in Renaissance art, they'll progress. I won't. You know, I've Crazy. fought terrorism all my life. But you don't have a degree. Well, this um, is, we're coming back to the uh, common sense, which I agree is, the, is a valuable skill to have or to find in someone else. Mm-hmm. I do agree I with that. A lot of employers uh, are now realizing that soldiers, you know, the, the men and women, who, who do serve um, actually got a lot of lot to offer. They used to lead in some of them. They they used to direction, format, hardworking. Um, they just haven't got a college education. Crazy. 
Well, Mark, I've certainly learned the whole load of information. I've also identified a huge gap in my knowledge (laughs) because this certainly has been thought-provoking in many ways. And if this is not going to motivate the listeners to put their phones down and to start watching and observing, because not from the perspective of looking for someone to attack you or hurt you or do something malicious, but this will actually help true relationships to be formed because you get to know people around you and stop being just technology or this this, this little, by now evil thing, phone, um, which I'm guilty as charged, just like... Uh, me too, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm just as guilty as anyone. It, yeah. It's the way of life. And, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody, I'm just saying, you know what, just the world's not a nice place. It could be, but it isn't right now. Um, so just protect yourself. And the quickest okay. way you can protect yourself is to be aware of what's going on in your surroundings. Brilliant, brilliant. Awareness, awareness of the surrounding. And um, I think from what I've heard and certainly my uh, sum up to this interview is to immediately get people like yourself, like Mike Giuliano, to work out on the bigger scale in the corporates, in the um, for high net worth people where the uh, gaps are in the physical security, the corporates where the physical as well as cyber and compliance security gaps mm-hmm. are, and to get them sorted. Um, and, I think it's and, a, hard, a hard target. I, I think it's also for, for many, it's who do you start? Where do you go? And here I am bringing the expert uh-huh. out there to the world. So I hope, I hope because I've heard a lot about you and it's, it, it's, it's all fascinating. So not to have a conversation with you, not to get you to share your wisdom, your whole load of knowledge would have been a complete waste of, of my show, of my podcast. So thank you so okay. much for coming onto Green to come to, um, to Beehive Household Podcast. It's been absolute pleasure. Um, and um, I, I'm certainly leaving this this interview and this conversation with um, a completely changed mindset and a few things to discuss with you um, offline as well. So thank you, Mark Spicer. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors as well as on LinkedIn. Bye now till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.